0: These are big words, Lord, that when short on delivery, Lord, is emptiness. That we truly are giving our lives to You. That we truly, Lord, want You to change us. That we truly, Lord, are going to be as pliable and moldable and shapeable as pottery. Lord, may You not look at this worship experience, at the words of our mouth, when you're truly looking at the depths of our heart. And may, may may God forbid that you would look at us as you did the Pharisees. Said, Your lip surface is good, but your life is empty. It's skeleton. God, today. Help us to take a great big mirror. And as we look into that mirror, we see ourselves. But because the mirror is big enough, you are also there. We can also see you working in us. Lord, don't let us fill up the entire dimensions of that mirror. Lord, we want to see you. Working here, working now, working in this place, working in this community, working in our families, working in our jobs, working in our lives. To become what you want us to become. From the very beginning, to become that. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have any of you all ever joined a gym membership but never used it? Oh, you used it the first couple of months. You felt guilty. I mean, seriously, have any of you all ever joined a membership, made, got a gym membership but didn't use it? All right, all right. Confession, all right. A lot of people, a number of people go through that process. You, we make these memberships. We make these. And you really, I think the gym people don't want you to use it because you tear up their equipment. They then have to replace it. They really just want that monthly payment from you, all right? If they can get that from you and get you locked into a couple of years of a contract, then they're fine with you not using their equipment and not showing up. How many of y'all ever been a part of a community organization, like a Rotary Club, Optimist Club, someone like that? Raise your hand. All right, we've got a few of those uh, in, in, in the room. They're great. I've, I've attended some, never been a part of one, been speaking at some and different things like that. It's, uh, they're, they're great. It's kind of like this little fraternity, sorority kind of mixed together for older people. All right, when you, when you get out of college, it's, you, you just kind of, I'm not, not saying old people, I'm saying older, out of college age. And you kind of can keep that kind of going and contributing to the culture and community and kind of hopefully making it a little bit better and you kind of, you get this little secret handshake or, or you get a little lapel pin and that means you're a part of the club and you pay your dues, you're in the club and, you know, it's all about those dues too sometimes, you kind of nickel and dime you to death. Or what about, you know, membership, talk about membership, American Express has got this slogan, membership has its what? Privileges. For who? Double digit interest on your loan, That's benefits for them. All right, not for you. All right, so membership has privileges for depending on who's on the receiving end of it. I get these spam emails. I don't know about you. I get these spam emails inviting me because I have been selected to be a part of who's who. All right, so you're looking at a who's whoer up here. All right, whatever that means, I have never figured that out, especially when people list it on their resume, because you get these, and I get them, I get no more than two or three a week right now. I'm, a, I'm a kind of a who's whoer, I guess, because I'm getting them for who's who. I'm getting it for who's who in business, yet I don't own a business. I'm getting it for who's who internationally. I'm a global who's whoer, All right? So, but the thing is, is I know the trick. They're going to want money at the end of the deal. Okay? They're going to want me to pay them. But I figure if I'm a who's who, they ought to be paying me to be a part of that who's who club. So, you know, you got these different clubs out there, dues, expectations. I thought about the first club that I joined when I was growing up. I joined a fan club. Now, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. So, I joined a fan club. Now, in the 70s and eighty, I didn't join Farrah Fawcett or Livy Newton-Johns fan club. I joined somebody out there that probably most people don't know. Debbie, what was her name? <laughs> Debbie Boone. Yes, Debbie Boone. Pat Boone's daughter, all right? She had this song, You Light Up My Life. It was a number one hit in like 78, and I fell in love with Debbie Boone. and uh, And so I joined her club. I paid my dues. I got an autographed photo. And every now and then the fan club leader would send out a, an update on what's going on in Debbie's life. But, you know, when I think about all the different things that we can join, all the dues that we can pay, all the things that we can be a part of, I, then I come to the church and I think, you know what? There is no wonder we are so messed up in what it means to be a part of a community called a church. We don't have any good metaphors. We don't have any good examples of what it looks like in our culture because, you know, you sign up for the gym, but you never show up. Oh, it's kind of like people signing up for a church membership. I'll show up at Christmas and Easter. You show up at the gym the day after New Year's. You know, you've got to get rid of all those pounds. So we show up, at, or we pay our dues. We're part of the community organization. I've paid my dues. I've done my deed. Therefore, I'm going to help out on this project, but that's all I'm going to do. We are a part of joining a lot of things. We're part of paying dues to a lot of things. But sometimes I think that has messed with us in our paradigm of what it looks like to be a part of something, to be a member of something. Because in the Western worldview, I think membership looks something like this. It's come and go. You can come or go. You can leave it or take it. It's, it, it, it doesn't really matter, okay? You come and you go as you please. It's kind of you're, you're receiving, and yeah, you might be giving back a little bit. But a biblical worldview or a biblical view of church membership is attach and grow. It's actually something, again, not a metaphor that we see in our culture today. But it's actually attach yourself, be woven into something, graft yourself into something, and then grow with it. Grow through the good times. Grow through the droughts. Go deeper in the the winters. All of those things, that's the metaphor that you see in Scripture of what it means to be a part of a church. Western worldview, it's more organizational and institutional. When you look at it from a biblical worldview, it's more of an organic living element. Are you a part of something that's growing, that's maturing, that's changing? All right? If you're looking to join something that never changes, we've got a misperception of what it means to be a part of a church. All right, that's join the historical heritage society in the community. That's what you want to join. All right, if you're to be a part of something, a church. A church is growing. It's 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 developing. It's becoming. It's living. And this is not don't think just my words for it, but this is what Jesus said in Romans 12:5. He said, "So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Now, is a body organic? Yes. Is a body an institution? No." And each member belongs to all the others. See, being a part of a church, being a part of a family, being a part of a, being a church member, if you will, according to Romans 12, is it's not dues. It's not coming and going. It's not take it or leave it. It's actually you become grafted and a part of a body. You become a limb, if you will, you become a liver. All right, just don't become an appendix because we can't figure out what you're good for. All right, so there's a part of a body that you begin to add to, add value, complete the cycle of life. You are organic. Here's another, again, carrying on with the same metaphor. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 says, Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of His body. What is His body? His body is the church. So we understand what the body is. We're understanding what Jesus is. And Jesus is the head of that body. And as you think about the church, you're thinking about the body of Christ. As you think about who's leading the body of Christ, it is Christ. He is the head. He's the leader. He's the one. He's the the one in which everything's... Christ loves His church. Christ absolutely adores His church. I love the way Neil Cole said it. He said, the church is conceived in heaven before it is born on earth. It must first be the glimmer of, of our Father's eye. You know, I think today in our, in our culture, it's not the glimmer of the Father's eye. It's more of a black eye than a glimmer in His eye. You, know, you, you you read the papers and you see the news of the scandals, the schisms, the sex, the segregation, the scuffles that go on in church. I think it's more tarnished than it is polished when you think about the church. And some of you, first time with us today, You think, oh gosh, I came on the day he talks about the church. That's one notch above tithing, all right? That's another Sunday. I'll not tell you when that's coming either. But the church is the community. And we have spent the past month talking about the value of a community. And if the the church were an institution... If the church were a take-it-or-leave-it dues-paying organization that you can come and go as you please. I don't want to be a part of that. But if the church and the community of Christ, that is body of Christ that is knit together and made a whole in one, if that is actually what God loves and He has a glimmer in His eye when He thinks about the church, I want to be a part of that. If the church adds life to my life, if the church adds life to this community, and we have said for, for many a month that the greatest way to bless a community is to start a what? Church. It's the only thing I know that can bless a community, body, soul, and spirit. It's the only thing. Government can't do that. Schools can't do that. They can bless and help a community in so many ways. But a church, body, soul, spirit, every area, every element of our life. Take your Bibles, and be finding the book of Third John. The best way to start this journey is to go to the back. Alright? Go to the back and then start left. Alright? Now the Book of Concordance is not a book. Alright? So don't go there. Go to Revelation. Revelation, then you'll find Jude, then you'll find Third John. Little bitty big the smallest book in all the Bible. Alright? Smallest, There's only two hundred and nineteen words in the Greek. When it's when it's translated, it's maybe more or less than that. But sooner 19 words, it's the smallest book in all the Bible. It's one chapter. We're going to study the entire book today. It won't take that much time. But here's, here's, here's the thing about this. And it just kind of brings it into perspective. Is that even though this is the very first, well, it's, it's in the very first century. It's about, it was written about, 800, about 80 A.D., excuse me. So it's just a few years. It's within the first generation following the life of Christ. And we know that John, John is the Apostle of Jesus, the beloved Apostle of Jesus. And he is writing this letter as he wrote the other two letters of John and also the Gospel of John and also the book of Revelation. And so as you, as you, as you bring these, these books together and you, and you think about them and you think about Third John, what is it? It's, it's this, this, this letter that's written, but it's written to a church, a community of faith in conflict. Now, I would certainly think that if John the Apostle, the beloved Apostle of Jesus, was the pastor of the church, you would certainly think there would not be problems. All right, this guy walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, lived with Jesus. How can you have problems when John the Apostle is your leader? See, the problem is is that the church from its inception, even back as early as 80 A.D., Satan has always been coming into the church and trying to cause problems. Either it's heresy or it's division. He's either, he's either trying to dilute the water or he's trying to split the church. And you can see that again and again and again and again in Scripture. You come to the book of 3 John and you find here it's not so much a heresy without, but it's the conflict that's going on within And it's the conflict that is within that can take a a thoroughly biblically sound church that is standing on the pillars of the faith and leave it in utter runs. Because he will come in either through heresy or he will come in through division. But he will come in. And here we have in the very early beginnings of the church this this church coming together and John is having to write to try to shore up the church because the division has begun to creep in. And so you have John writing and he identifies himself as elder. Now sometimes there's plurality of elders in the church and sometimes there's individual elders in the church. But here in this case he is the elder of the church and he is writing as the elder of the church. You see that in verse 1. But as you go through this, this book, I, 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 it's all in context, and I want just to please hang with me because I like history and I'm not going to try to bore you with it, but it, it is important. Because as John is, is, is delivering this letter or sending this letter by way of a courier, he is writing to a man named Gaius. This man named Gaius is, a, is, is an admirable member in the church, and he has one message for, for him. And the thesis of the entire small, tiny book in the New Testament tucked away that probably most of us have never even read is in verse 11 when he tells them, hey, listen, Gaius, imitate what's good. If you're going to pick a model, an example to follow, figure out what is good and what is right and follow what is good. Basically, he's saying get a mentor, get somebody in front of you Go with them. You need to imitate what is good. You need to figure out what is good, what is bad out there, because there's another guy. See, there's basically four people involved in this story, in this narrative. If you think about it, even though it's an epistle, you have John who's writing it. He's writing it to a guy named Gaius. Common name in that day. Wouldn't be common today, wouldn't be very accepted today. Then you have Diotrephes. Diotrephes, is, he's the troublemaker that we'll unpack in a, in a moment. Then there's another guy named Demetrius who actually is delivering the letter. He plays such a small role in the book, we won't even mention him. It really comes down to Diotrephes and Gaius. And I think as you think about this passage with me, and you're thinking about, okay, I need to imitate what is good. If I'm going to be a part of a church, and it's clear that he is writing to the church, he mentions it twice in this small letter, the church, the church. As you think about it, and as we finish up today, our community message element series within a series, I want you to ask yourself the question, what kind of member am I going to be? Am I going to be the, the gym membership kind of person who joins but never goes? Oh, whenever I feel a little guilty because I've plumped myself up a little bit, I'll go then. Or when it's seasonally correct, I'll go then. Am I going to be the person who's going to be the dues-paying person? I'm going to come and pay my dues and do my duty and serve every now and then and tip my hat to God and the church, but I'm going to go on and live my life the way I want. Who's your example? Because I think if the Apostle John were to stand before us today, he would say to all of us, "Imitate what is good." Is it going to be Gaius? Is it going to be Diotrephes? Who will you be like? And so basically it's like this. It's like there's two models, and then we see them in these two characters in the story. There's two models, members to measure your membership by. And I'll say that three times fast. Two models, two models to, uh, excuse me, I can't even say it. Two model, members to measure your membership by. One of them I want to give you is there's the commendable member. Gaius, I've already mentioned to him, again, if, if John the apostle were standing before you today and he was to say to you and me, hey, listen, guys, I know a guy, I know somebody that if you're going to imitate what is good, I want you to look in the life of Gaius. I want you to understand Him and I want you to imitate His life and the way that He lived His life. And I want us to read this now in verse 1. Pick up reading with me in verse 1 to verse 4. Uh, the elder, again singular speaking of, uh, of John, the elder to the beloved Gaius, who, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that I may go, that, that, that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health As it goes well with your soul. Now let me say this to you. It is one thing to be in good physical health. But John is writing and saying, I hope that not only are you physically well, I pray you are spiritually well. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed You are walking in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, he makes it abundantly clear what he's so proud about. He's proud that he has figured out the balance of life. Yes, you are physically healthy, but I am so happy and there's no greater joy in my life than to hear that you are not only physically healthy, but you are spiritually healthy. What does spiritual health look like? What did, what was the commendable elements of him? One is there was an alignment with words and deeds. He said, listen, the word has come out. The, the, the stories have been told. And the, the truth is now. You are walking in the truth. It has been declared. Everybody's looking at your life. And your life measures up. I don't know about you. But well, there's a book written out a few years ago by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons called Unchristian. And in that book, they surveyed people across America asking them, what was your, it's called Unchristian. Why are you not a Christian? And they listed out about six reasons why. And one of those top reasons why would be probably you would, you would guess it. The hypocrisy of the church. See, it is not a beautiful thing whenever our talk says one thing, but our walk says something totally different. If there is inconsistencies, granted, we're not all perfect. And I think that's one of the beautiful things I think about our postmodern generation is that, that uh, they don't want hypocrisy. They'd rather see our flaws and our warts and our mistakes and us dealing with them in a life of a confessional life than to live a life of hypocrisy. But to live this double standard life where things aren't measuring up, where our life is not, is not congruent with our words, all that is is hogwash. When our orthodoxy is strong, but our orthopraxy is weak. Erasmus said it like this. He reminded his contemporaries that, would, that if we would bring the Turks to Christianity, we must first be Christians. That's one thing for us to enter into this world and to try to bring people to Jesus. It's another thing if our life and our walk does not measure up. Verse 2, again, it says that good health. In verse 3, he said there, he said, walking in the truth. Verse 4, again, walking in the truth. It wasn't just something you talked about. It was something you did. See, your walk walks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Does that make sense? We can talk and we can walk. What really matters and what really makes a difference is when our talk and our walk line up. Is there any part of your life that if it was uncovered right now, it would embarrass you and your family and God? Are you an open book? Think about it. Because a model member, a commendable member, is a person where there's alignment. Number two, he had a mind for mission. Because not only did did he live a life that measured up, but he also lived an open life. A life where he was willing to allow others to come in, and literally he would make room for strangers in his life. I like that phrase. Because that's exactly the phrase that John uses in verse 5. He said, Beloved, it is, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers, underscore that word, strangers as they are. You go on and you read, and you read about how he would allow strangers into their life, strangers into their home, strangers at the table. I wonder sometimes if we get into our holy huddles that sometimes we miss the strangers who are sitting around us. I received an email, oh, it was about a month ago. And it was probably one of those emails that will make me stay awake, but it's a good w- stay awake. It was an email when somebody came to Grace Point and, and, um, and they walked right past the gauntlet of men that stand out in front to greet you as you come in, in past the coffee shop, in through the foyer, in to the worship gathering, and sit down. Had the service, got up, walked out, and they said that they weren't greeted. Now, I've always felt and I've always wanted us to be a friendly church, but I didn't want it to be an add-on. I wanted it to be a part of our DNA. I don't get those emails very often. I get most of the time the other emails. I was amazed by the friendliness. I was amazed by that. But this one caught me. And I thought, Mike, you might think it's one way. But if you're a stranger for the first time entering a building, you've never been there before, and you don't know anybody, you don't know how hard it is to get out of the car sometimes. And I thought, you know what? I want us to be... A gayest kind of church. That really didn't sound right. That, that, that is welcoming of strangers. In fact, I'll say it like this. We say the three-minute rule. I even said it last week. Take the first three minutes after every service and meet somebody new. Let me, let me extend that. And this is, going to be, this is going to be a new mantra for us. Own your zone. Say it with me. Own your zone. Here's a new rule at Grace Point. Introduced just this week, and you are the first to hear about it. We want you to own your zone. That means as you come in, as you're around, as you sit down in your spot week after week, I want one of your first things is not to sit down and find your coffee and to to get yourself organized and to read through the worship guide. It's the same every week, just about anyway. All right, so just don't do that. I, the I, first thing I want you to do is own your zone. Look around and find somebody that you've never met. And without me saying anything, without any, any prompting, own your zone. Say it with me. I will own my zone. I will own my zone. Say it again. Now, your zone is at about a 10-foot area, all right? So you just look around. And if you don't want anybody to own your zone with, then go back to the far corner. I nice to where everybody sits. Excuse me. Come to the front row. That's where nobody sits. Own your zone. Let's not have to position people around in our church to greet people. Let's let it be a natural response so that when strangers come in, strangers will be welcomed. Own our zone. Here's a life principle for you. You can only have community when people are communal. You know, it is not about us putting on a program up here. It's not about how friendly I can be up here. If we're going to really have the community that we all would really like to be a part of, it's us owning our zone. It's us being communal. It's us opening our lives to absolute, complete strangers. Well, we do that. That's what Gaius did. Number two, the second member that we don't want to be like, the first one is an example to be like is the conflictive member. The conflictive member. This is that person. Again, let me give you the scenario again. We're in first century church. This is the purest, finest prototype if you will of a church. Our first century now. This is the generation that follows Jesus. This is after Jesus introduces the idea of the church. So, we are looking at its purest model, its purest example. And then you throw into that, you've got a a pastor, an elder of your church named John, the apostle, who went to the Jesus Theological Seminary. And he spent three years at Jesus Theological Seminary getting his master's degree under the teaching of God himself. And he is now your pastor. And he is not only only a disciple of Jesus, he is the valedictorian of Jesus' seminary. Because he is the beloved disciple, all right? Everybody knew him as one of the closest disciples of Jesus. And yet, he is your pastor in the first century. And what do you have? You still have people who are against him. You still have people who are fighting against this. It's not a perfect church. There isn't a perfect church where people are involved. And why is that? Because Satan doesn't want it. Matthew 7, verse 15 says, Be careful of false prophets. They come to you. They come to you. Looking gentle like sheep. But they're really dangerous like wolves. They'll come. Romans 16, 17 says, Like this, brothers and sisters, I ask you to look out for those who cause people to be against each other and who upset other people's faith. They are against the true teaching you learned, so stay away from them. What bold statements! If, if Satan can't cause heresy to come into the church, he'll cause division to come into the church. How will he do that? He will take a gentle, placid, beautiful, put-together individual or individuals, and he'll put them Right in the center. He'll put them right at the lead. And this is dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Look for those, as it says in Romans, for those who cause dissension. You know what? This is such a problem in the church. I took a master's level class called Church Conflict Management. Satan has been causing division in churches for years upon years upon years upon years. And what we have to do, and that's why it's one of our core values that every new member signs on is I will stand for the unity of my church. It's, one of the, it's the second covenant principle of our covenant. We're going to stand for unity in our church. Now, are there going to be issues in the church? Can there be issues in the church? Absolutely. The thing is, issues, issues can be resolved. Issues are resolved when there's conversation and humility. Conflict, antagonist, that's a different story. We're no longer dealing with issues that are resolved through conversation and humility. But antagonist, they are an issue. They can cause division in the community. They're, they're, they're the issue looking for a place to happen. Where everything can become an issue. Where the, the style, the dress, the, 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 the paint, the carpet. I've even told, I tell this in every North Point class, even the, the how many ply toilet paper, if you remember that story from North, Pay, North Point, can cause division. They are, an antagonist is an issue looking for a place to happen. And they're very, very dangerous to the body of the church, Diotrephes we don't know much about. Verse nine says it like this: "I have written something to the church. Again, Paul, John writes to the church, but Diotrephes. But Diotrephes. See, the elder, the beloved apostle of Jesus, wanted to lead the church, but Diotrephes had other plans." And we need to be aware that what, we, what, what people believe is that he actually intercepted a letter that, that he was writing and didn't share it or distorted it from, see, information's power. And those who have information have power. And so what he began to do is he began to somehow divide the church against John, and John has to write and correct it. And he, he, he states there are three marks of a conflictive member. I hope none of them are a part of your life or my life. One is that it's the be first complex. So whenever we, we, we forget the big picture, and the big picture becomes about our picture, about what I like, about what I want, about what things I, I desire, it becomes about me. Diotrephes who likes to put himself first. The big picture is lost at that point little kid went to a birthday party named Marty Marty saw the the cake being cut up and he just yelled across the room I want the biggest piece and mom reached over and said no you don't say that well he said then how do I get the biggest piece you know again he missed the big picture it wasn't his party it wasn't about him getting the biggest piece it wasn't about him being first that's what the wanted Colossians chapter one verse eighteen said he is the head of the body of the church. Again, we hear that again, that in everything he might be preeminent. First place. First place. You know, in twenty one years of being in pastor pastoring churches and being on staff at churches and then being in leading, helping to lead churches across Africa. I've seen a lot of church conflict. Again, he will come in through heresy or he'll come in through conflict. If he can't get us through conflict, he'll get us through heresy. If he can't get us through heresy, he'll get us through conflict. I've seen a lot and dealt with a lot of conflict management in churches. i say I'm a professional. Sometimes I create the conflict. I realize that. But here's the issue. Ninety percent of what I've seen, I have seen in the church, deals more with personal ideas and desires than it does moral, ethics, or theological error. It's more about the color of a carpet, the color of the walls, and tit-for-tat stuff that really doesn't mean anything that divides a church. Be careful. Number two, divisive tongues. Antagonists, I'll tell you right now, Diotrephes had a hard time keeping his trap shut. Instead of taking the issue of the problem, to the, pro- to, the, to the source, or to the leadership, or to the authorities, he decided to take it to the whole membership. Divisive tongues become a part of the conversation. Verse 10 says, so if I come, I will bring, about, I'll bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Antagonists, I'll tell you right now, they can't keep their mouth shut. They can't learn discretion. They can't learn humility. They can't spell conversation, dialogue, agreeing to disagree. They have an agenda and they're not happy until their agenda is on the table and in their favor. They'll, They'll do it in subtle, Christianized, religious ways, sharing prayer requests. I just have this concern. And they'll share their prayer request or they 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 they'll, they'll give kind of a murmur and the bible speaks all about murmuring murmuring is a half concealed half uttered complaint you give phrases you give sound bites but again you don't deal with issues beware number 3 unuser friendly they are unuser friendly and I say by that, you know what the user-friendly term is. You turn on a new computer. I'm getting a new computer this week. I can identify with this. You know, it's like you want to throw it, but then it costs too much. So you want to take it back? You, you, you kinda, you're you're, you're not user-friendly or not. What if you have members in your church that are un-user-friendly? They actually repel instead of bring in. They actually, their attitudes and their antagonism and their, and their things are actually divisive and tear apart. Verse, verse 10, again, he said, And no content with that, he refuses, again speaking of diophthies, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. This is a person who literally... Because of their attitude, their disposition, their words, their mannerism, they're actually, they disconnect instead of connect. They tear apart instead of bring together. Are we going to be connectors or disconnectors? I think it's a choice we have to make. Are we going to try to be first? Are we going to let our tongue get out of control? Are we going to be like Gaius? A person who make sure their life is humbly walking with God and not just talking and dissecting and breaking down what humility means and all that? Are we humbly walking with God? Are we a person who's living on mission? Inviting strength. Who are we going to be? Let me tell you this. This is an appropriate message to end this series on because if nothing else, I hope, I hope what you hear is a great big warning. Not that it's looming out there. Not that there's a problem out there, but here it is. There's always problems, big, little, small. But here's the issue. how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to deal with it? Are we going to allow the antagonists to stir and build? Because the community will be compromised. There will be either heresy or conflict that will come to any and every church. It's happened since 80 A.D., it's going to happen in 2010. And what you're going to find about community, if you really become a part of a community, you're going to find this. Because we've been talking about an adventure, an expedition. The greatest adventure of community, the hardest adventure of community, are people in relationships. Relationships are wonderful when they're working. They stink. You know, people are great when they're great, but they're horrible when they're horrible. I want to get them out of here. You know what? the same. The adventure of community is being able to learn to live with one another and add value to one another. Band, if you'll come back up here. Sociologist Ray Oldenburg coined a phrase back in the 1960s called third place notion. Came up with a third place notion. You may have heard of it. Because Starbucks has capitalized on it. The third place, what the sociologist has said, is the place outside of the home and outside of work where people go and have community. And if you think about what a Starbucks is or what a coffee shop is, is it has created the third place. A place where people could go and share and sit down and drink and eat and, and fellowship together and, and to be community and to connect and to get to know new people. and it, You're not having to have them in your home, and, but yet at the same time you're still connecting and it's not work, but yet you can invite people from work. It's a third place out there. It's, it's a phenomenon. I, I love studying it. Because if I really think about what the church is supposed to be, the church is supposed to be the third place. It's supposed to be the place that we come together around meals and food and time and share and give and take and help one another through life. It's outside of work and it's outside the home. It just extends ourselves. Will you be a part of a family that comes together? Listen to the words of this song. Let it just inspire you. Let it challenge you to think about what is holding you together, bringing you together.